You're listening to The 66. By now you should probably know it's a podcast where we study the 66 books of the Bible. Uh, I feel like we have to throw this out there. It has nothing to do with Star Wars. If you search, <laughs> it's the when, weirdest thing. If you search The 66 podcast on Google, on the internet, on iTunes, all these Star Wars podcasts pop up. Yeah. And I'm not sure why, it. but it's, this one... We study the Bible on this podcast. Bible right. study podcast. Right. Um, we do this in three sections. We read, think, and apply. And in the first section, we just give you a, an idea of the outline of our text. And today, we're in our second episode and the second chapter of the second letter to the Thessalonians. Um, and Drew has our reading for the chapter today. Thank you, Andrew. You are. Uh, I will get started on that reading right now. Uh, what we're going to do to organize the reading here is to organize it according to five questions answered by the Apostle Paul. Okay. Now, so last episode, which has been some weeks ago for you and me, we talked about the problem of affliction. So he's dealing with the problem here in chapter two. It's related to affliction, but it's a different problem. It's a problem having to do with the second coming of Christ and false teaching regarding the second coming. You might remember from uh, the episodes we did on 1 Thessalonians that there was some confusion regarding the day of the Lord. In that case, it seemed like they were uh, looking for some signs to tell them the day of the Lord was near, and he said in chapter 5, verse 1, there there aren't going to be any signs. He's going to come suddenly like a thief in the night or like labor pains on a woman. So here we are in 2 Thessalonians. They are still struggling with, when is the second coming? Have we missed the second coming? And so that, that's where we'll begin with the first question that he answers. What was the problem? That's the first question. I'll read verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So that suggests that some have been shaken, some have been alarmed by a spirit slash teacher, or a spoken word, or a letter proposing to have come from Paul. And uh, these things convinced some of them that the day of the Lord had already come. And, of course, they were alarmed that maybe they had missed out on that. That That is the problem that Paul is going to address. So the next question is, what was the answer? So what is the answer to the question, has the day of the Lord come? And that answer is given in verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So he answers that in a twofold way. He basically says the day of the Lord has not yet come, and he, it will not come until, number one, there is a rebellion. That's the translation of the Greek word apostasy. Uh, some may just say apostasy, or um, I've seen a falling away. Rebellion is good, I guess, but it's the idea of a departing from the faith, a general slide away from from yeah. righteousness in the church. Okay. Uh, the second event would be the revelation of the man of lawlessness. Other translations say man of sin, mm-hmm. which leads us to the third question. Okay, so we're moving swiftly through this, but Paul, this this is a very tough chapter because it's so dense and full of detail, and he's, and he's come, moving so quickly through this stuff. Okay. Sorry to mean you're No, that's okay. But this man of lawlessness or man of sin, he's going to kind of be the focus of this chapter, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot of what we're getting to, this is the third question, who is the man of lawlessness? And uh, what I'm going to do because of our format here is I'm just going to give like what the text says. I'm going to outline what the text says. We'll come back in the next segment and try to interpret that. Does that make sense? We just... Yep, sounds good. um, Here is the, the description of the man of lawlessness. Uh, number one, he's he's going to be he is currently invisible uh, because he says that he will be revealed. Verse three, and he says that again in verse eight. At the time he exists, 
but he's not visible to the church at Thessalonica. Number two, Paul says he's going to be blasphemous. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That's verse four. Number three, he is. this is the, one of the most interesting parts of the description. He is currently being restrained. Okay, yeah. so here's what he says in verses six and seven. You know what is restraining him now. Obviously, he's not talking to you and me because we're not sure what that is. But he had evidently taught the Thessalonians earlier on the subject, and everything was coming at them so quickly that, you know, they they didn't fully grasp it. So he's saying, you know, talking to the Thessalonians, what's restraining him now? Yeah, when I read that prepping for this, I was like, uh, do I? No, I don't. <laughs> I do not know that. Uh, they knew <clears throat> mm-hmm. so that he may be revealed in his time. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Okay, that's really complicated. We'll try to come back and find an answer to that. Okay. I use the word try, and yeah, I know I Yoda to tells us not to try, answer. but to do. But uh, That's two Star Wars references. Right, ten minutes in. really rolling. It's the best episode we've had <laughs> yet. Um, so this is number four detail in verse six. He is already at work. Uh, Paul says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So he's not visible to the church at that time. But he is in existence because he's already working, and they're waiting for him to be revealed. Uh, for, I lose count. Number five, fifth detail here. Um, he is hopeless, the man of lawlessness is, because Paul says that the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth. And that's a pretty familiar symbol of the Word of God, yeah. the breath of his mouth. Uh, you can look at Revelation one sixteen where I believe you have a description of Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. The sword is the word of God. So this this all is definitely talking about the word of God. That's what's going to kill him and bring him to nothing, Jesus will, by the appearance of his coming. So at the second coming, the man of lawlessness will be, once and for all, destroyed. And that's that same term from our series on First Thessalonians, right? That yeah, parousia. Yeah. Parousia, the uh, return, second coming. Mm-hmm. Um, next, he is satanic. I couldn't think of a great adjective here. Satanic because verse 9 tells us the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. So it doesn't say, and we'll draw this out more next segment, it doesn't say he is Satan, but he is satanic. His coming mm-hmm. is in accordance with the activity of Satan. Finally, Paul says he's deceptive. This is verses 9 and 10. With all power and false signs and wonders, and with all the wicked deception for those who are perishing. We'll talk about who this may be um, in the next segment, but for now, that's just a description from the words of Paul of the man of lawlessness, so you can see why it requires us to think on this one, because the details are really hard to understand there. Let's move on to the, I think this is the fourth question, which is what or who restrains the man of lawlessness? Uh, So we had looked at some verses that talked about his being restrained. His activity was already going, but he had not been revealed. Um, Verse 7 says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless... Uh, then the lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth. Um, so there's a restraining force there. That's something else we need to talk about. I'm trying to save some things for the next segment. Yeah. Um, then finally, last question, Paul answers, who are perishing? Verses 10 through 12. Let's read that together. With all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in righteousness. So to to review that, the perishing are, number one, those who are deceived by the deception of lawlessness. Number two, those who are not saved through belief of the truth, uh, belief in love of the truth. Number three, those who received a strong delusion. Here we go again. A very difficult passage. 
a strong delusion from God so that they may believe what is false. And number four, those who took pleasure in unrighteousness. Um, so those are the five questions that take us down through verse 12. In a very difficult passage of Scripture, 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 12. Um, yeah, you want to add anything to well, what we've read? I'm busy. I'm not talking right now because I'm over here busy scribbling away some notes based on what you just said. But a lot of things that I think we'll be interested to come back and dig a little bit deeper into in the next section. Yeah, for most sure. definitely. I will say this. I don't want anybody to expect us to solve this problem in the next segment yeah. because nobody ever has. There's a quote from um, Augustine or Augustine. I think is how yeah. you're supposed to say his name. But the town St. Augustine, so I'm going to call him Augustine. Okay, yeah. Uh, Florida knows best. Where he says, basically, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me, um, but he basically says, I don't know what Paul is trying to say here. <laughs> he okay. says there... Uh, there's another, he's a modern, like, Greek scholar, real impressive, highly educated guy. Mm-hmm. And he says, I make no attempt to fully explain this passage. He said the options are, there's so many options for what he could mean here that I'm just going to say it could be these. I have no idea. Yeah. So some of the most educated people who spent their lifetime studying Scripture are willing to admit that this is a passage where they just say, hey, here are, here are some options, and yeah, I don't know which one it is. Yeah, and, and I do want to remind our listeners that the we can get carried away with the description of the man of lawlessness and forget why he's brought up. Paul has already taught the church at Thessalonica on this issue, um, so he's using this along with the apostasy slash rebellion, however you want to translate that. Yeah, Those are the two things that will occur before the second coming of Christ. And so they did not need to be alarmed over the rumors that the day of the Lord had already come. Right. Wait for the falling away and wait for the man of lawlessness. And after those things come, you'll see the return of Jesus Christ. There's so much here, and we, we quit reading with, what, verse 12, because, yeah. I, you know, I'm wanting to get the rest of the book finished next episode, which, by the way, is our 100th episode. Yep. Maybe we'll have cupcakes. Um, we'll have something. I don't know. We might do it live from Saw's Soul Kitchen <laughs> in Birmingham. I don't think so. Yeah, um, too well. It's going to be hard, so instead yeah. of rambling, I should get right into this. I want us to talk about four issues here. Okay. Um, number one, the apostasy. Number two, the man of lawlessness. Number three, who restrains the man of lawlessness. And finally, how is it that God sends a strong delusion so that people do not believe the truth? All of those are giant question marks mm-hmm. that are very difficult. I think the apostasy is the easiest one. So let's start with that. You'll remember the apostasy comes up at the beginning of chapter 2 where we read that some had been shaken in mind or alarmed because of a spirit that would be a teacher or a spoken word that's a teaching or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And he says, no, the day of the Lord has not yet come because before the day of the Lord comes, there must be number one, a rebellion slash apostasy slash falling away, mm-hmm. and number two, the revelation of the man of lawlessness. And I guess even before we get into apostasy and the man of lawlessness, we need to discuss the possibility, this is the head-scratching possibility, that somebody could be fooled into thinking the day of the Lord had already come. That's the biggest question mark for me at all. Yeah, this. I kind of skipped over that one, yeah. but that is a big question mark as well. Um, listen, a lot of people are struggling with this. Uh, in the first letter to the Thessalonians, they were they were confused about the second coming, They're looking for signs and those kinds of things. 
and that confusion carries over into the second letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, the church at Corinth struggled with the same thing, mm-hmm. saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Yeah. So they kind of had the same problem with Christian end-time prophecies. So here's one thing. The culture out of which the church of Thessalonica was born, Thessalonica was born, and the church at Corinth was a culture that was not very open to the idea of a resurrection. Right. You had Epicureans who just believed that this life is all you've got. Mm-hmm. Make the best of it. Live it up. Live it up and avoid as much pain as possible. Yeah. The Stoics were kind of... I mean, this is not a really accurate comparison, but you can compare them to Eastern religions that believe in an impersonal God yeah. or an absolute that we all join up with when we die. So there's an afterlife, there's but it's not... There's another Star Wars reference. We got three now. Yeah, the Force. Yep. Uh, so they believed in the Force, but not Pretty like Luke Skywalker. Yeah. They didn't have lightsabers. That's And then even, um, you know, the debate between the Sadducees and the Pharisees was over the resurrection. The Sadducees, yeah, right. big, se- important sect of the Jews said, mm-hmm. no resurrection, no life after death. Yeah. Now, we don't live in a culture like that. Our culture is a lot more open to resurrection than their culture was. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't be surprised that resurrection and other end-time prophecies weren't embraced by them in the beginning. They had yeah. trouble with them because this was totally new stuff to them. Mm-hmm. So, and on top of that, you had some very convincing letters seemingly to be from Paul, teachers who seemed mm-hmm. to have inspiration behind them, but they didn't. Which is another question in and of itself. Who's writing these letters in Paul's name and sending them? Yes. What did they say? How did they figure out they were fake? Right. Did they catch the guys that did it? Like that's, mm-hmm. somebody do a TV show on that. That's really it. interesting. Write a book. I wish I knew more about what was behind Second Thessalonians chapter two. It would be very interesting, and it would probably answer all of our questions about Second Thessalonians two. If we had, I'm sure, if you could find the letter that was the false letter by Paul, mm-hmm. you could probably answer all these questions about what exactly is Paul talking about. Yes, but let me say this in terms of human nature and what it's able to believe and not believe. We have a number of very prominent religious groups in the world today who believe that the day of the Lord has already come. Right. Uh, Charles Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses said that Jesus came back October 1st, 1914. And that, yeah, he says he came, but he came invisibly. What happened on that day? Anything? Um, Well, he said the world was going to end in 1874. And then when it didn't, he revised his calculation in 1914. And then his successor uh, said, yeah, Russell was right. But he, the Lord didn't come visibly, he came invisibly. So it's something along that line that was being fed to the Thessalonians. Um, wow. There's a doctrine today called preterism mm-hmm. that a lot of people believe in, which holds that Jesus' return occurred at or before the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in the year A.D. 70, just 70 years right. after the birth of Christ. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of people who believe that. So it's Which, not a stretch to think that somebody had convinced the Thessalonians that the in the um, the return of Christ had already come, the day of the Lord had already come. And it's funny to me, the effect is the exact same now as it was then, because Paul's saying, "Hey, you've heard this stuff that you, the day of the Lord has already come. Don't panic; it hasn't come yet. Here's how you're going to know whether or not you've missed the boat." And I think. You know, for now, when we hear stories like this, you know, like this guy, I was going to call him a wacko or something, that wouldn't be very nice, but this guy <laughs> that said he came back invisibly, uh, or, you know, the the preterism argument, I know a lot of guys think they have that argument very nuanced and wrapped up with a bow, but um, although this is a passage that gets used for that as well, um, but... You know, we're left with the same effect. Oh, man, did Jesus already come back and I missed it? Mm-hmm. Like, what What do I do? Like, yeah. how do I... Uh, I think Paul's words to the Thessalonians would have been very comforting. Uh, he even says in verse 17 of this chapter, the last word of the chap- last words of the chapter, he says, May Jesus and God comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Mm-hmm. So there was comfort for them, and I think there's an equal level of comfort for us. So... We've mentioned, can I, I want to ask you a couple questions first, if that's okay. And I know we're still on this first question of apostasy, right? 
So yeah, we never wanna... got to it. Yeah. I backed us up. So, I, yeah. Okay, so let's get there. So okay. if I'm reading this and you're telling me the day of the Lord has not already come, it did not come in AD 70, and it did not come when our buddy over there said it came in 1914. 1912 or 14, yeah. Yeah. P- tomatoes, potatoes. Um, the first thing, would, <laughs> I, the first point here would be... Potato, potato, I think is the... I, I'm pretty sure it's potato, tomato. Um, it would pajama, be, pajama. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the apostasy is the first thing here, or that rebellion. Because what I've seen for preterism here uh, being that... What, by the way, this term preterism, what's the deal with the word? I used to know, but I've forgotten. Pre-terism. Okay, tourism pre- Before tourists. Before tourism, descended. okay. I'm sure it's got some uh, yeah, Latin mean, or Greek... It means everything's already prophecies are already fulfilled. Got it. Um, my professors from college are listening. It's cringing right now. They're not listening. Remember that term? Oh, they're listening. They're in our huge fan base. But we digress. Uh, so the rebellion I've heard for eighty seventy. This makes sense with the Jewish rebellion, right? Until the rebellion comes, so they're waiting to see a rebellion against Rome. What would that mean to Macedonians? I mean, he's not writing this letter. To the city of Jerusalem. He's writing this letter to people who have never seen or cared about the temple in Jerusalem. These are Thessalonians. So why in the world would he want to be talking about some Jewish rebellion in a far off land they've never visited before? Yeah, that's a now, really I, good point. I may be, and also now listen, there was a synagogue in Thessalonica, so maybe I need to back off that a well, little I'm bit. Well, I'm going back they to did look. Care. Most was, of them were... Greeks, weren't they? Well, yeah, if you go to Acts 17. Yeah, that's where I'm... uh, Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, but the Jews were jealous. So a few Jews... Yeah, devout devout Greeks could indicate Gentiles who worshipped as Jews. Like the God-fearers, like Cornelius. So, I mean, they were aware of Judaism, but still, there's nothing here. Let's just say this. There's nothing here to suggest that he's talking specifically about a Jewish rebellion in Jerusalem that led to the overthrow of the temple. Uh, yeah. Now, I want to read you another passage from Paul that may give some more insight. Remember, this is the same author. Here's what he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Okay, so that... I believe is a description of the apostasy slash falling away slash rebellion that comes before mm-hmm. um, Christ comes. And what he's describing is a time after his departure. Uh, I get that. The, a similar passage is Acts 20, 28 through 30. I'm not going to take the time to read it. But he says, this is coming after my departure. Mm-hmm. Um, people will depart from the faith. Or in Acts, he says, church leaders will lead disciples after them away from the faith. And that leading away from the faith, that downward spiral, is a good image of what the word apostasy means. The falling away. He says some will depart from the faith. So I believe the apostasy is a general falling away of the church as a whole. Some people say that's when um, the Middle Ages, in the Middle Ages when the church began to forbid marriage among priests um, when they started ascetic practices like, you know, severe fasting. Um, yeah. When church organization was more central, centrally organized yeah. upon a pope or something like that, at some point the church became very different than its original form. That is the apostasy. So... We could say that one, you can check off the list. That has already definitely happened. There has been a general falling away of the church. And, um, you know, what it, that, it just leads us to the second question. 
what about the man of lawlessness? Has he come? I don't know. Does that? What do you think about that with the falling away? I think it makes you buy sense. That or? I think it makes sense. I'm chewing on it. Um, okay. I think it makes sense. Um, I guess I don't really, I don't really have any holes to poke in it, other than just thinking. Why would you want I mean, to? How do I? Well, I'm just. I, you want you this know, podcast to be three hours long? No, just as as funny as it is, you know, I, I've heard of the falling away. Never heard it directly applied to that, to when the church was basically restructured. Um, well, it's, you know, you put all the passages together, and it's, you know, when the church became something very different from its original form. Its original form being... Um, Congregations independently led under elderships, yeah. the latter form being a pope over all of the churches in a hierarchy that included bishops and mm-hmm. you know other regional church leaders and on down to a priesthood that forbids marriage. Uh, you know that's was, what has kind of got me hung up, and I probably I know it's much more general, but it sounds like from First Timothy four we're talking about Jewish teachers forbidding marriage requiring abstinence from foods abstinence these would be foods. christian teachers because it's a christian letter it's making me think of the guys like from galatians who are supposed like jewish christians but who are clamping down the law but i you're right this will take three hours yeah. i just need to get my thoughts together and maybe i'll yeah. turn in some questions for you in q a <laughs> but i mean i'm assuming i just Based on all the time we spent studying together, I'm assuming you're right, and I'm just I'm just trying <laughs> well, that, to think through. Don't it. don't do that. So just I, test, I, I want you to know it I'm with not Acts twenty to, uh, and First Timothy four. I think that's if you want to get a biblical commentary on your uh, on other verses, those are the two passages. Okay, go to. Just letting you know, we're right. trying to debunk your apostasy. Oh no no no. I, and I realize that not everybody agrees with that, but that that's where I stand on the rebellion okay. and the apostasy. That's what I believe it is. So what about this man of lawlessness? Okay, now a... I'm not as I'm not as sure about that. Okay, so why not? Well, for, so Paul's language in these passages lean on prophecies of the Old Testament. So he's using a mm-hmm. an apocalyptic language here yeah. that his original readers were more accustomed to than we are. There especially seems to be some allusions to the book of Daniel in which other dangerous rulers were warned about. Um, When Jesus predicted the destruction of Jerusalem, which he did, uh, he used language like this as well. But that does not mean that that Paul is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem here. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go through a list of possible interpretations and you've probably seen this before. Uh, let's start with the one that was popular in the Reformation era. The Reformation yeah. era began October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the doors of the Wittenberg Cathedral in Germany. That's when it began. Out of the Reformation came numerous denominations, but the Reformation was a reaction to the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was a promotion of salvation by faith alone versus a works-based salvation of the Catholic Church. Yeah. So Luther, Calvin, Wesley, lots of other leaders, Zwingli, if I said that correctly. Zwingli. I, I don't think I did. Um, they had this interpretation of the man of lawlessness. They believed that it was the line of popes. And one of the reasons is because this um, this man of lawlessness exalted himself against every so-called God, takes the seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So they look at that and they say, well, that's the doctrine of ex cathedra, which says that when the Pope speaks ex cathedra from the chair, is what that means, mm-hmm that his, his ruling or his word or the policies he executes are as good as the word of God. Now, I'll have to say that that right or that authority that mm-hmm. is assumed by the Roman Catholic Church was rarely used. Yeah. Um, the Pope is worshipped or almost worshipped 
even today. Yeah. But while some of that looks like the man of lawlessness, there are other things here that don't look anything like the Pope to me. Yeah. How is the mystery of lawlessness already at work when this was centuries before the papacy? Mm-hmm. Um, he, um, you know, there's false signs and wonders, wicked deception. As some people would say, you know, that is descriptive of the Pope. But I, I just don't think it, that's what it is. It's interesting. That theory did not come up for 1,500 years. And then now they're like, oh, there it is. It's the papacy. Yeah, the part I'd be confused on that is the all power and false signs and wonders. Now, I, I definitely don't agree that anybody... Would the Pope be the son of destruction? You know, I, some may say... I mean, I, I certainly don't agree that one man is specifically the sole authoritative representation of Christ on earth, kind of like with the Pope. Of course um, not, yeah. I definitely don't believe that, but... I mean, I'm going to be hesitant, too, to just sit here and call out <laughs> the popes to say, you guys are the man of lawlessness from Second Thessalonians mm-hmm. 2. But, you know, I'm not Martin Luther. Martin Luther would have been much more uh, disen... What's the word I'm looking for? Disenfranchised. Yeah, yeah. With the current pope at the time. Yeah. Um, but... Well, okay, let's move on to another theory. So, others have suggested this is a collective reference to the line of Roman emperors. Because of the imperial cult where people were yeah. forced to worship some emperors, that not makes, all. Makes sense with the exalting himself to be worshipped, but again, losing the me power on power that he has. All power and well, all But that was such a, relatively wonders. speaking, such a short period of history. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not worried about Roman emperors today. Yeah. There are none. You know, they, they didn't last that long, right? Right. At least not that I know of. (laughs) Well, another one that shouldn't surprise you is another possibility is the devil. But you can see what the problem is with that one, right? Yeah, he's by the activity of Satan. Yeah, he's not not Satan Satan because verse 9 says his coming is by the activity of Satan. So he's got to be a separate entity. He may be a henchman of Satan. Yeah. He's not Satan himself. Yeah. Um, Now, I know what everybody's thinking when they hear this for the first time. They think this is the Antichrist. And um, it sounds like our modern-day picture of the Antichrist. I'll have to give people that. And there are a lot of very prominent men, smarter than I am, who've written commentaries linking the man of lawlessness with the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. In fact, among evangelicals, I would say the Antichrist is the most popular interpretation of the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. Yeah. The problem is, what is the Antichrist? I mean, outside of this passage, yeah. what describes an Antichrist at the end of time? That's John's the only upon. one who talks about the Antichrist. Yeah, right, that's what I was about to say. And he's not talking about any end-time prophecies when he talks about the Antichrist. He's yeah. saying there's there are several Antichrists, and they deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Yep. And they deny the master who bought them and things like that. We, you want to read a couple four, of right? those? Uh, I've got references here. Yeah, First John 4, 1 through 3. Yeah. So that is, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Okay, so, you know, you heard that he was coming, now he's already in the world. Mm-hmm. It may seem a little bit like what Paul's saying is his activity is already going, but he hasn't been revealed yet. Something's restraining him. And that kind of sounds like Second Thessalonians. His activity is already present. I'll admit, he's when in I heard the world, it, but, but what something's about... restraining him. <laughs> Okay. What about chapter 2, verse 18, though, of of 1 John, okay? Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. That's not Antichrist with a capital A. That just means opposed to Christ. And there are many of them, and they deny that Jesus came from God. And uh, if I might go to 2 John 7... He says, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
So they don't they they do not accept the idea of a human Christ. Right. Such one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Antichrist. But he's already told us chapter two, verse eighteen of first. So John, it's a more general term it, than a specific. It's, yeah, it's one, like this is the spirit of Antichrist. Not he doesn't the guy believe from Jesus. The left behind books with right. blonde hair. That, it's hard for us to separate that out. And of course I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be dogmatic about my position because yeah. I, I have to confess, I, I don't know for sure what this is. But let me hey, throw another Can I out. throw that Augustine quote in here now? Yes, yeah, you yeah. Just said that? So you just Do said, it. I have to confess. Like, I can't I be must, dogmatic yeah. here. That's right. Here's Augustine. I frankly confess, I do not know what Paul means. Yeah. End that's quote. probably the safest <laughs> position here. <laughs> I All I know is it's, he's, he's coming before, he's revealed. Yeah. He's already here. He's revealed before the end of time. It's all I know. I just love that quote because I was reading this article. I'm expecting like Augustine. I was like, okay, cool. I'm about to get some really good insight into this. Mm -hmm. I'm about to get the answer. Augustine, I frankly confess, nope, I got no clue. Right. So you're right. It is hard to be dogmatic. So You know, the most likely, let me get to the most likely possibility for me. For me, the most convincing for me. And I realize there are problems with this interpretation. But could it be evil personified? Like a whole level of evil that we don't we don't see now. Part of this interpretation for me comes with the question of who is restraining the Antichrist. So if you make the Antichrist some political figure who's already at work in the first century, but hasn't yet come even today, two thousand years later, what was restraining that person? How old is this person? And what does restraining? You know, if it's a mean? literal person, you're going to have to have somebody who's around. In Paul's day, back. who's still here today, who's been restrained by someone who was around in Paul's day and still here today. I, that's quite a stretch for me. Yeah. If yeah. it was the devil or something like that, but we can eliminate that. So I'm going with a figure here. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of a metaphor for all-out evil that's not being held back. Mm-hmm. And I'll say more about it when we get to restrainer, but... Okay. The restrainer. The yeah. restraint, I think, is Okay. So do you wanna before we do that though, have you heard other interpretations I didn't bring up? Because we talk about line of nope. popes, line of emperors, the devil, the antichrist, evil personified. That gets most of the common ones. Yeah. So Mike, I can't I can't think of any questions to throw in there that wouldn't make me sound totally ignorant. So we'll move on and ask some questions after we after we put yeah. pause. So <laughs> the restraint here. Yeah. Before my question, I guess, who restrains might answer this question I've got. What exactly are we talking about? What kind of restraint? Well, let me, because it's been a while since we read it, let me read verses 6 and 7 again. Okay. You know what is restraining him now. So they knew what it was, which is why he didn't go into detail for us about it. Thanks a um, But they already knew. You know what it is. Uh, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. A lot of pronouns in there without antecedents. Who is the he at the end? Um, He is is out of the way would be the the man of lawlessness. Okay. Wait, no, no, okay, it says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it, the mystery of lawlessness or lawlessness, will continue to do so until he is out of the way. It could be one or the other. So somebody, I guess it could be the restrainer because when he's out of the way, then here comes a man of lawlessness revealed. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Uh, So he's somehow, he's already at work, but he's restrained. So yeah. he's allowed to work a little bit, but not full blown. Yeah. Is that what? Which evil, if you think about it, evil, evil could be a candidate there. Now, does this match Antichrist, up? Antichrist, I struggle with that for the Antichrist. Does this match up with stuff in Revelation too? Because that sounds pretty similar to something. So like right? the beast or? Being, I don't know. This is why. Maybe, maybe it's are... like the little horn in uh the one that's talking, yeah. the talking little horn in Daniel. I, it yeah. does sound like Daniel. You know, I'm having flashbacks to our Daniel podcast. Me too. And the little horn. 
But the little yeah. horn was Antiochus Epiphanes. It was a historical person. Yeah, we're not talking about that. Was, that was actually a lot easier than this. Much. As difficult as that was. There's so much detail given, though. Yep. Okay. I'm just going to. Not gonna, here. I'm going to table some of my questions here. Well, save them till I get through, you know, some of this other stuff. Yeah. We, I mean, we've never done this before, but should we cruise on through without a part three? Another break? Because uh, we're at 40 minutes. I'm fine with keeping on going. Folks can. Mash and they can just read things <laughs> yeah. with, without apply. Yeah, I think this one, if there's ever one worthy of just thinking and applying, it's, and not applying, it's this one. Yeah, there may be some application of verses 10 through 12. Well, we, but... we can't apply until we figure out what it says first, though. <laughs> and we're not going to do that. So we got to figure out what it says, then we can apply it. Uh, but the application we've already made, pretty much. Don't be worried you've already missed the day of the Lord, because it's coming. And everybody's going to be judged at the same time on the same day. So yeah. don't think that you've somehow missed out on Judgment Day because you it's impossible. Yeah. Okay. So that was their application, but if the man of lawlessness has come since then, then then we're like okay, ready. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's so some restraint. possible restraints. Here we go. <laughs> Restrainers. Okay. So going back just to get them all in here, some say another emperor or the Roman Empire itself. Okay. So there's one emperor who's held in check by a different emperor. I guess that'd I just, be Nero. That's, that's a very. Are they trying to make it Nero? Because Nero's uh, Nero worst. may be the the man of lawlessness, whereas maybe the Senate. You know, the Senate often restrained the emperor or tried to. Yeah, but see that now that might fit here. Is it Brute? But, is it Brutus? Yeah, et tu Brute. The problem is. <laughs> the problem is there's so many different things that you can say, oh, well, this holds that in check, like with the Roman Senate and the Roman Emperor. Like, there are so many things I could put into that formula. Yeah, since but then. none of them It's Hitler, could, and the allies are the restraint. Yeah. yeah. How, how could anybody refute what I'm saying mm-hmm. and meanwhile hold theirs up? Because we, how, how do we determine who's right here? It'd just be which one of us is speculating the best. Mm-hmm. So I have a hard time trying to make this any specific historical event like that because it's so hard to nail it down and attach it to the Roman Senate and the Mm -hmm. Roman Emperor unless you go through a deep study of Revelation and that's what you attach it to and then you come back and apply that. That was a long time ago and Jesus hasn't come back yet. No. I don't think that's it. I think the fact that we're still here is living proof that Maybe the man lawlessness has not yet been revealed. Maybe. But then I I was saying the apostasy has already happened. So, All right, so back to restraint. <laughs> okay, so next restrainer. This this sounds pretty good. What if, what if it's the restrainer is the Holy Spirit and the work of the church? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have a preserving influence in the world today. If that is removed... Then the the idea evil of evil pulled. personified evil will will go crazy in that environment without the church. Okay. Um, there are some indications in Second Peter three, and you have to dig real deep to find these. But Second Peter three seems to suggest that the Lord has delayed His coming for the sake of those who would repent. The Lord is not slow concerning His promise. Some count slowness was. Mm-hmm. Patient toward us, uh, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to reach repentance. And right, then he goes on nine. to say, what kind of people ought we to be? Um, let me get over there. Second Peter 3. I uh, don't know the exact... 9 was the verse you were just reading. Right. But after that, he says, um, look at verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. Day of the Lord is be, can be hastened by Christians who are getting as many people to repent as possible. So the idea there is when we when the church has urged as many people as possible to repent and nobody's going to repent anymore, the restraint is taken off the evil. The evil blows up. It's time for Jesus to come back and that opens up a whole new world. set of questions. I'm not yes. going to ask you right now. <laughs> Thirdly, I think the most likely possibility is just the principle of law and order. If it's evil personified, if the man of lawlessness is evil personified, 
what is restraining comprehensive evil? What is restraining evil to the fullest? Law and order. Like you can murder somebody in this country, but you're gonna have to pay the consequences. There yeah. is a deterrent against it for now. I kinda wish we had the law and order sound effect. Well and yeah, right. Ding, ding. Um Romans thirteen, first Peter two both tell us that the government has been ordained by God to keep law and order, yeah. punish evildoers, reward those who do good. I realize that the government doesn't do that perfectly or even close to per- perfection. Correct. Uh, but it's God's system on earth for now that keeps evil in check, doesn't keep it from disappearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, if and when it ever leaves, watch out, because evil will will no longer be restrained and it will be revealed to be as ugly as it truly is. Hey, now that is... And then well, it's time for Jesus to come back. All you know? these, you know, all these... Um, that picture you're painting of evil let loose, you know, how many... There's so many books and movies about what happens, like some kind of post, you know, apocalyptic event or something, and people mm-hmm. are just doing what they want to do, and all those movies and books are just like horrific, like what people are doing. Yeah. You know, like it's it's just horrible. So I kind of, that picture you're painting of a place where evil's just let loose 100% and then it's time. It's like a Cormac McCarthy novel. That's a, I was thinking of The Road. That yeah. was the one I was thinking of. Um, that's, I mean, yeah. that, that makes sense. It's not sense. a world I want to live in. Yeah, it's definitely like, not. It's some dystopian view of the future, Yeah, maybe. I. You know, we just don't know, but for my, and I've looked at this for years, and I've been grad school and studied it, and I've read a lot of yeah. commentaries on it, and thought about it, and taught it, and for me, my best guess is that the apostasy has already occurred when the falling away from the faith occurred. Mm-hmm. The man of lawlessness is evil personified. It's already at work. Who can deny evil is not already at work? and is under restraint by law and order. One day that will disappear. Evil will come out fully, and it's time for Jesus to come back at that point because nobody else is going to repent. Um, yeah. I know some of that sounds far-fetched, but any interpretation you come up with well, yeah, is going to be like say, how, Which one of these doesn't sound... I mean, the Thessalonians, some, just they knew a lot already. Some sort of... Yeah. And so Paul did not go back over that. And if we needed to know exactly what this was, we'd be told. Yeah. I, I guess that's that. probably the best way to look at it. If we need to know exactly what it was, we'd be told. But it kind of makes you long for a line somewhere that just says, I am not talking about <laughs> the destruction of a city. I am not talking about Rome. I am mm-hmm. talking about when Jesus comes back. Evil is going to be let loose. Mm-hmm. So until the day you see evil 100% let let loose by the removal of X restraint, mm-hmm. you're good. Like we just wish we had, I mean, two or three more sentences in there. But you're right. There's a good reason why we do not. And so we. this is one of those things that we certainly take on faith, not just a blind faith and saying, all right, well, whatever. But based upon the credibility of the scriptures and the yeah. credibility of the existence of this God, then I think we're pretty safe in taking this on faith here and saying we don't have the details. I think that your option is, I mean, pretty much no matter which, even if one of those other interpretations is right, yours is still right because it's kind of behind those. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like... The imperial cult was evil. Yeah. So uh, I think I like, just off the top of my head here, I like yours the best because it doesn't try aw. to... Well, It's we, not my, you know... I Wherever you've picked it up from... I, well, I'll tell you, this is what Dr. Earl Edwards taught me at Freed Hardeman yeah. years ago. He now has a commentary out in the Truth For Today commentary series yeah. you can get from resource publications. And give us some advertising money after this. So, yeah, that's right. That's uh, so you but know, all it, of this material is in there as well. Yeah, it works because it's not so specific. Now, aside from the apostasy, the apostasy is specific, but 
It's not really that specific, though. I mean, it's just a general falling away. So there have been a nature. lot of falling aways. Yeah. So, but at the time Paul wrote this, the church was new, and well, I started to say unified. I know they had their problems with the Jewish Gentile question. No, much more but unified than today. There anyway, yeah, there wasn't like several different kinds of Christianity. Four hundred and some odd. Is that what it thousands? Is? I think. Maybe it was 42, maybe it's, it's either 420 or 42,000. I just did it for a class. Not I think it's 42,000. It's definitely not 420. I think it's 42,000 different denominations at the moment, yeah. which is just Well, that ridiculous. sounds like a lot. I don't so know. So question four. So we got, yeah. we have been through number one, what's apostasy? Number two, who's the man of lawlessness? Number three, who restrains him slash what is the restraint? Now and for now, something completely different. All right, yeah, I'm ready. What's what's the next one? Huh, I'm, it's uh okay. Let me re read it again. What book are we doing? Uh, two Revelation. Thessalonians. Revelation. Listen, here we go. With all wicked, dis- we're still talking about the man of lawlessness. Oh, which, good. You know, I'm reminded of something that throws holes in my interpretation. Evil personified. I just said I like. Well, it. he's got signs and. Power and false signs and wonders. He's working miracles. Verse 10, With all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Okay, I'm with him so far. They were in the uh, captain's chair of their own lives. They chose to refuse the truth. Therefore, verse 11, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. What do you think about that? We're um, God's sending strong delusion. Isn't that Romans two, isn't that in there too? Yeah, Romans one. Romans one, yes, sir. Yeah, there there's a how does he put it there? For this reason God gave them up. Gave them up. Yeah. God gave them up. He says that a couple of times. Uh, verse twenty four and verse twenty six. In Romans 1. So, uh, whatever it means here, I think it means the same thing in Romans 1. I, yeah. Now, can we just take off the table the idea that God makes people sin? Yes. James God 1, 13. Tempts no one. God yeah. cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So, I, you know, that's not what Paul is saying here. Um, there is a sense in which by giving us free will and making only two possible destinations available, God has set the formula up for a group not to be saved. Right. So he's responsible because he put us in this world. I should say he's responsible in the sense that he put us in this world where we have free choice and we're going to be judged as righteous or wicked with nothing in between. So in that way... We have we if we choose not to believe in the truth and we're deceived by the man of lawlessness or whatever, then the, we're going to go into a position where we believe what is false. God's not going to stop that, and we're going to be condemned. And He's not going to stop that. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, He is re- responsible, but not in the sense that He makes people do things against their will or fools them into thinking reality is different than what it really is. Yeah, that definitely doesn't match up with the portrait that we have of God. Have of God. Certainly isn't it First Timothy it says he desires all men to come to a knowledge of the truth. I believe it's First Timothy. Yeah, First Timothy 2, 3, and 4. Men. Yeah, come to knowledge of the truth. Would you connect this to, and again, show my ignorance, ignorance once more, where... God is, it says, basically he's sitting around with some of the angels and he says, who's going to go and deceive the current king into getting into this battle? And one of them stands up and is like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm gonna tell him to go to this battle for X reason. It says, so God sent a spirit, like the spirit of deceit. You know what I'm talking about? I, no. I'm trying to remember. Which I thought you were about king. to go into a little preacher story there. No, no. Which I have king no other plan. That I thought that's is. what you were going to say next. No, where uh, uh, it says yeah, that he sends a deceitful spirit. 
And that's what I'm, I keep trying to find. And I can't. Maybe you should look that up before. Well, I figured I've got the encyclopedia over here sitting across from me, but. Um, but I mean, that matches up with what we've already read in First Timothy 4 about the Spirit saying in a later time some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Mm. Um, so they're devoting themselves to these things. Those could be teachers, though. Um, there is this um, deceitful... While you're looking that up, yeah. I'll throw out another way to understand this. Uh, and maybe a simpler way to understand how it is that God sent a strong delusion is to think in terms of God's sovereignty and how he could stop anything, but he chooses not to stop deceit because of the world he built for us is the best of all possible worlds where we have free choice and the ability to believe a lie. And so mm-hmm. he, his, it's not his um, purposeful will, it's his permissive will. He yeah. permits it. And in that sense, just like in the sense that he hardened Pharaoh's heart or gave people up to impurity of Romans 1, He's permitting a strong delusion when he could have stopped it. Yeah. All right, so you got your... I found it. It's not quite as illuminating as I thought it was going to be, but this is from Ahab. I knew it was Ahab. I just didn't want to say it and be wrong. Uh, but First Kings 22, um, okay. Micaiah is talking to them. Uh, and this is where, verse 19, he says, Micaiah said, Therefore... Hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and said to the Lord, saying, I will entice him. The Lord said, By what means? He said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. And he's saying this directly to Ahab, because Ahab all these pro- has all these prophets telling him to go to battle. Micah says, don't, you're going to lose. But God has planned this anyway uh, to send this deceitful spirit. So it's... Well, man, you just made it really tough. You also have... So Micah still okay. has the ability to choose... Whether or not he's going to listen to Micaiah or these other or prophets. Micaiah, yeah. And he chooses to listen to the ones. That, and the Lord through Micaiah is telling him all this is happening. So it's kind of like right. he doesn't really deceive him because he's telling him he is being deceived. You also have to. I think, yeah, like the Word of God yeah, is I was doing thinking here. Scripture is doing the exact same thing right Micaiah here. Micaiah was also a very sarcastic. He was a true mm-hmm. prophet. Yeah, but in that passage of scripture, he's very circuit because at first he tells Ahab's like, "Should I go into battle?" And he says, "Go, everything will be great." <laughs> and Ahab gets mad, yeah. so you're like, "Okay, Ahab, yeah. either this is just he not making sense, up. or yeah. Micaiah is using sarcasm." Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, you know, you you put another difficult passage on top of. All I don't know if that eliminates it or not, but it does at least give yeah. us some insight, and we know from studies and other prophets that these prophets knew knew very well they were lying so it's not like they were you yeah. know i think i the don't think the prophets of prophet were possessed to yeah. have to say something false even if they didn't want to the spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophet that's what paul said in first corinthians 14 so yeah. uh they knew when they were lying and they knew when they were telling the truth yep well this has been very difficult uh it but has. i hope it's been helpful to our listeners we're out of time, and we thank you for joining us. Hey, make sure you, you uh, tune in to the 100th episode. I'm not saying it's going to be any different than the first 99. But it will be the 100th. But it's a milestone for us, and yeah. uh, we're really excited about finishing up Second Thessalonians on the same day that we celebrate our 100th episode. Until then, if you want to contact us, we got email, we got Facebook, we got Twitter, we got um, you know mailboxes, uh, physical <laughs> yeah. address phone numbers. There are all kinds of ways to get a hold of us, and I hope you will. Don't forget, celebrating 100th episode, so stay with us and listen for that. It'll be dropping hopefully next week uh, before too long. Until then, we'll see you next time on The 66.